of the Word of God. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. You have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift, though through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the highest, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And he is the same one who descended higher, the one who has ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their, responsible, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all have come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to our full, complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced by the people who try to trick us with so clever lies that sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak love and the truth, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the body who is the head of the body, the church. Oh, oh yeah. One more. <laughs> yeah. He, makes, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. Well done, Parker. Yeah, give it up for him. He rocked it. That was a lot, and he did a great job. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles, find that passage that Parker so wonderfully read to us. Man, I love it when um, we get to see what the Lord is doing in our young people and, and our old people. And we're going to see both today. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to use the word old today. I was trying to think of a nicer way to say that because it's going to come up later in the message, Lord willing. But chronologically gifted just sounds like, you know, we all know what we're talking about. We're old, right? And that's just the way it is. So that's all right. Embrace it. No, no Mo, you're the oldest. Um, and... Um, <laughs> So let me ask you a question. We're going to start off right away with our first talking points question. What, what is it that causes people to gather together? What kinds of things cause people to gather? I'm asking. Okay, church. Thank you, John. Captain Obvious is in the room. Church. Okay, what else? Need for a need for connection? Similar interests. Good. So take it out of our little world, like our little churchdom, but like just other groups. Like, like guys, why are there... Um, fitness centers to, for people to work out because there's a certain group of people that are interested in getting fit, right? Why are there bars? There's a whole other group of people, right? What, else, what other kinds of things? So, so similar interests, maybe what are some other things maybe? Weddings and funerals, good. That was, it's funny that you bring that up, Sean, because when I met with Tony, our elder advisor who turned 93 this week actually, 
uh, praise the Lord. He brought that up too. Um, so, so like maybe a purpose, like a, a wedding, a funeral, things like that. Good. Need for socialization. Okay, so just to, to actually be like to find a place where we can actually learn some people skills and and actually and be around people and and maybe rub each other a little bit and um, yeah, you know what's interesting is what I found out is is in the church today, over 40 million Americans are missing. So since 1980, there was a study that recently came out, since, and, and the phrase they're using now is de-churched. Since 1980, 40 million people who once were attending church, were churchgoers, are not attending church anymore. 40 million in America. That's a massive amount. That's way before, that's 19, that's over the last 40 years. COVID accelerated that, but is not the cause of that. Guys, for the first time in our nation's history, the never churched outweighs those who weekly attend any kind of a church gathering. So let me say that again. For the first time in our nation's history, those, there are more people in our country who have never attended any kind of church service than there are people sitting in services this weekend in any kind of religious service. That is a complete paradigm shift. That is a massive change, not just in our country, but in our culture, and, and frankly, and in our church. The church, capital C, and even our church, lowercase c, cross-trained church. Now, we gather here today, like we're here, I'm preaching to the choir, we're here today, or you're listening online, because we know that like our souls need to be encouraged. Like the rain this morning, we got five minutes of rain at my house, I literally went outside and stood there the whole time, because I'm like, I'm not going to miss this, right? Like we, we need, and, and it was so, so nourishing to me, just because we hadn't heard rain in so long. Because we gather today, because it's like, I don't want to miss this, like, like I know I can't. My soul needs this. I mean, why else would you sit through a two-hour church service? Because your soul needs it, right? And so, so we understand that, but we have got to get better. We, cross-train, and the church globally, has got to get better at going and meeting people, that those de-churched and the, the never-churched. We've got to get better at meeting them where they are in introducing them to Jesus and then inviting them into the family of God. That's why we were in this summer series. And this is our last week in the series that we're calling What Christians Believe. And, we've ta and, and we're trying to give you and, and what, um, what Jeff and Adam were working on or we're working together on. We're kind of showing you some examples of kinds of ways you can engage in a culture that is de-churched and never-churched and say, so what are some questions that you can ask them? And, and, and how can you answer the questions they ask? And we even had a handout last week that helped give you some ways to engage in the gospel. So we've talked about, well, how do we know God exists in evil? And we've talked about God's story and where Jesus and the gospel fit into that story. We've talked about how Christianity is not just a religion. It is a religion, but it's not just a list of rules. It's about relationship. We've talked about identity and how to find your identity in Christ. We talked about how to live free in Christ. Last week, I talked about how do you know God's will for your life. This week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up and land this whole plane, starting Matthew next week, Lord willing, and we're going to talk about what is probably, well, not probably, what is the most important thing in the world to Jesus. Guys, now, I, that, I am not speaking in hyperbole. The most important thing in the world to Jesus is the bride of Christ. It is the church. It is what he died for, and it's what he's coming back for. 
I've said it before. I may say it again today. We, we live in a society now, Christians. I mean, in our society of, of our, little, our little pocket of Christians that say things like, I love Jesus. I'm just not down with church. There is no room for that in the Bible. I understand it. I understand church hurt. I understand there are reasons to disengage sometime. There is no place in Scripture for the disconnected Christian. The way Jesus would say it is, don't tell me you love me and hate my bride. That does not work that way. I won't have it. Jesus died for the church. He is returning for the church. And the church matters. So today we're going to talk about why does the church matter. And rather than just talk about it from a global perspective or even a local perspective, I want to make it a personal perspective. Why does the church matter to you? Why do you need church? That's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that Parker just read, and we're going to talk about why you need, why I need church. And Paul's going to tell us in these 16 verses that the church is where we live as one, we live life together, and we learn to live for a purpose, like our lives on purpose for his purpose. And that's what the church is here for. So we're going to um, pick it up right there in verse, in verse 1 of, of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians is in your New Testament towards the end of your Bible if you have not found it. And I'm just going to read the first four verses as we look, at our first, we look at our first point. Why do you need the church? Because the church is the place you learn to live as one. You learn to live as one. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That is a really, really strong statement from Paul. He spent the first three chapters of Ephesians doing what took him 11 chapters in Romans. We went through the book of Romans before our summer study. The gospel. Chapters 1 through 3 and a half are that. Then he gets to the end of chapter 3 and he says, I bow my knee before the Father." Because of the greatness of the gospel. And then he says, and in light of that greatness, walk, live your life in a manner worthy of that gospel that you've been called by. He says, with humility and and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called by one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. I mean, he is passionate. Like Paul is lit up at this point because he's talking about something that really matters. And he's talking about it at the early stages of the church. He wrote Ephesians in around 60 AD. The church has only been a church for not even 30 years. And there's all kinds of problems and there's all kinds of things going wrong. But, but he is saying this really matters. This meaning the church really matters. Look at your second talking points question. We're going to jump right to that, and then, we'll fit, and then we'll kind of flesh out some of those verses I just read. This is when the Apostle Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that he's passionate about it. But he doesn't follow that up with a bunch of sins to stop doing. He doesn't say, so here's how you walk worthy. Stop looking at porn. Stop drinking so much. Stop beating your wife. Stop whatever it is. He doesn't do any of that. He tells us stuff to do. So what are the things to do, and why should we do them? That's what, the, that's what those six verses are about. So, so what are the things? Here are the things. Verse 2, the things to do that, make the, that look like walking worthy are humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We don't create 
unity in the body of Christ. We don't create unity in the church. We are called, commanded to preserve the unity that the Holy Spirit has brought together. Guys, you are saved, sealed, and placed on purpose for a purpose by the Holy Spirit. We just do the safe sealed part really pretty good in evangelical churches. We don't do the placed part. We think that we're just, it's that sort of American um, spirit of, especially here in the western United States, of, you know, like, I just go where I want to go. No, you go where the Holy Spirit tells you to go. Because he's placed us in a body. And we're going to get there in just a minute. Um, but, I, but I get ahead of myself. But do those kinds of descriptors define you? Things like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, unity, peace. Do they define your life? Do they define your conversations? Do they define your friendships, the kind of people that you hang out with? Would you say that these are people that are, that are passionately committed to staying connected, to staying unified, to dying to self and going, you know what, I'm willing to let go of this preference so that I can grab a hold of what is, all, what is beautiful about the body of Christ. Does that describe you? Guys, look at, go, turn to the left of where we are. It's the only other place we're going to go today in Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's just to the left of where we are, a couple of books. 1 Corinthians, it's, it's, it's known as the what chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. Right? Now let me tell you, just quickly give you a little bit of background about the love chapter and why Paul put it right there in, in, the, in this letter. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do it because the church at Corinth was a mess. And one of their big messes was they were all divided up. They were arguing about who was more important. They were arguing about how they should worship together. They were arguing about their prayer life. They were arguing about all, like, who was, like, which gift was better. They were, and in the midst of, in, in, you're going to read 1 Corinthians 12 this week. In the midst of this long list of giftings in the body of Christ and how everything's not a toe, is it? And everything's not an eye. And if and everything was like, in, in the midst of all that, he gets to the very end of this conversation about the giftedness. And he's like, and you guys have made a mess of the body. And he says at the end of chapter 12, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gift. And I will show you a more excellent way. And then he spends all of what we call chapter 13 talking about what? Love. So what is the more excellent way? Love. Now, you've heard this read at weddings. We've, this is the launching point for our, mar our, um, our marriage retreat. That This is, by the way, your last week to sign up for it, unless it fills up first, which it might, because uh, we're at over 110 now, people, praise the Lord, that want to come to this thing. Um, but we're going to start with uh, the theme of, those, of the marriage retreat is a better way. Here's where it's coming from, because it's a better way to how do we really love? How do we clean up the mess that is us so we can love others well, especially in the case of marriage, our spouse. But look at what it says. He says, if I speak of tongue with men, I'm, I'm in chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I, if I have the prophet's powers of understanding. So he's saying, if I speak the truth that the angels speak, or I have the knowledge that the prophets speak, and all mystery of that knowledge, but I ha and I have all faith as if to, I could move mountains. So he's like, if I even have power, power to heal, power to move mountains, power to do miracles, but I have not love, I am nothing. That's a, guys, we read that, it's so common to hear sometimes if, if you've been in the church very long that we don't really, like, think about what he's saying. He's saying, I could have perfect truth. I could know everything about the truth of God's word. I could even have the power to speak that truth and make things happen. And if I'm not loving, it's nothing. 
It's garbage. Seems like love is pretty important. And then he goes on to talk about, um, in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. Now here's what, we'll, what we have done at the marriage retreat in the past, what we'll even do this year, I'm sure, is when I say the word love in these next few verses, insert your name there. So say, so, so Jeff is patient, Teresa is kind, um, Sandy loves, does not envy, and so on. So you keep, insert your name where you see the word love. So love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable, it does, it, or resentful. It, it, that, uh, the, that word resentful in the Greek means it, keeps, it does not keep a list of wrongs. Oof, that one gets me every time. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In the interest of time, just jump down to first or to chapter 13. So he says, So now faith comes, so, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's like, guys, our preferences, and we all have them, some of them are really good. I mean, we, we want to we stand for truth. We want to fight for truth. But guys, at the same time, we need to even do that in a loving way. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, if you're going to fight so hard for your preference in something that you sever relationship, you got to ask yourself, where is Jesus in that? What we're going to see, um, we're in the training center this year. We're doing a, a class on shepherding. Um, if, you, if you have one information about it, come, come talk to me. One of the book we're going to use is Paul Tripp's book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. And it's going to lead us through like, how to wrestle through our own heart issues, how to help in our marriages, with our parenting, etc. Like but, but one of the things that Tripp says in this book is he says, even good things can become bad things when they become heart-controlling things. So what Paul is telling us here is he's saying, even, even when you are right, technically right, biblically right, but it is, it is not a gospel issue, and, and you have allowed that to control your behavior to a point that you're going to sever relationship over it, that has now become an idol to you. And Paul's saying, you should not do it. The greatest of these is love. Guys, the eternal truth of God's word is love God, love people. Right? Everything else is debatable. I mean, we can argue about it through the lens of Scripture, but it is love God, love people. It is so important. So, so these things, the thing is love. So, let's now, so now let's go back quickly to um, Ephesians 4 and look at why. So why is that the thing? So look at verses 4 through 6. So the reason this idea of love and unity, maintaining the unity, is, is what it looks like to walk worthy. It's because there is one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, just as you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. He's saying the why is because we are modeling the oneness that God brings, that God is. Before God created, he was one. He was many, he was three Father, Son, and Spirit, but he was completely, perfectly unified. That's what the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to model. And frankly, guys, we stink at it. I stink at it. But the reason is because we're supposed to show the world this oneness. Guys, think about this for a second. When it, this struck me this morning as I was praying for this message. When Jesus is going to the cross, the last prayer he prays before he gets arrested is in John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. Do you remember how he starts it? What's he pray for? Unity. 
I and them and you and me, that they might be one, just as you and I are one, so that the world might know that you sent me. Our oneness, our togetherness, speaks to his greatness. And that's why it matters so stinking much to him. Guys, the word of God is not a weapon to wound people. Right? It's the, it, it is like water to refresh people. The word of God is not a bunch of bricks to throw at people. Even if you're right, you're, but you're not doing it lovingly, you're a clanging symbol. Right? It is bread to feed people. Guys, remember this. We are just beggars telling other beggars who the bread is. I want you to say that with me. We are beggars telling other beggars who the bread is and where to find the living water. That's it. That's our job. That's our calling. So why do we need the church? One, it, it challenges us continually to live as one. The second thing is it, is, it is where we learn to do that by living life together. Elba said I, the, the word used was socialization. The church, like the, 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 my marriage and you guys in this body are the two tools the world, our God will use more than any other to make me look more like Jesus. Because I don't have an escape route. And I don't mean because I'm the pastor. I mean because I'm a Christian and the Holy Spirit has placed me here. So when you annoy me or I annoy you, and I lean into that instead of push away from that. And I decide I'm going to do life with you, you annoying person. It is taking that part of me that doesn't look like Jesus and it's shaving it off that I might look more like Christ. That's what Carrie does for me. That's what I do for Carrie. But that's the second place that is most relevant is here. Because every other organization, group, whatever you belong to, you have complete freedom to come and go now the problem is we think we have that complete freedom to come and go in the church and we don't the holy spirit has to discern that not me not the elders but but we just quickly go our our well i'm getting ahead of myself we'll come back to this in a minute look at chapter look at chapter 4 verse 7 so this is what it looks like to do life together. But, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So get that. Each one of us was given a measure of grace, a gifting, an opportunity to help other people. Not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the special people, not just the YouTube celebrity pastors. Each one of us, y'all, each one of all of us, if you're in Christ, was given a, a gift of grace to share. And then he says, therefore it says, and he goes on to this section, and I'm just in the interest of time, in verses 8 through 10, there's a section, some of your Bibles, including the ESV, will put parentheses around some of this because it isn't in some of the ancient manuscripts. But really the point Paul is making in verses 8 through 10 is that, that Christ, he's, he's trying to drive this point home. He's saying Christ has authority everywhere. He descended, he has authority. He ascended, he has authority. And because of that authority, we need to live worthy of the manner with which we've been called. He's connecting it back to verse 1. Now look at verse 11. He has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. Guys, these, some people think these are gifts. Some think they're offices. They could be either or both. Guys, here, whether it's this, whether it's a list like here in Ephesians 4, a list like you're going to read about in 1 Corinthians 12, a list like you're going to read about this week in Romans 12, what I've come to believe and, and understand is 
These lists are just to give us a sample of the giftings and offices that make up the body of Christ. They're not meant to be exhaustive. The Holy Spirit is God. That means he is multifaceted. Right now, we have some resources available for you on the information table um, and also um, out, out on the front in the information table. And also we have them up here on some tables that, that help you. If you don't know what, the, what your grace gift is, there's a little flyer. It's this color. It, it, again, this is not meant to be fully authoritative. This has just got some resources that you can look at, some activities you can do to figure out how you're gifted. And then we have a, another handout that says, now, where are there some places that you could fit in to the body of Christ? So I would encourage you, if you're not exercising your giftedness for the edification of the body of Christ, there, we have some resources, and we would love to sit down with you as leaders and, sh and, talk, and walk you through some of that. But guys, we have to, um, we, it all starts with this. When you walked in here this morning, did you come here only going, what am I going to get out of this today? Or did you walk in here this morning really believing, I have something to bring here. It's both. It's, we, we, we do come here. We pray to get something, to, to soak in the Spirit, to just exalt in the glory of God. But it's also, what am I, like, like I came to bring something. I came to bring the person that Christ has gifted me to be. Unfortunately, what has happened again in the church is we have become consumers only. I come just to get, not to give. Guys, the church needs you. You need the church, but the church needs you, but not to get stuff done. Hear this. this like, these little handouts and stuff are not just so we can fill holes in ministry. That's never been who we've been. It, the, you need the church, and the church needs you to be the, the multifaceted mess that is the body of Christ. We need the toes and the thumbs and the appendix and the heart and the lungs and the brain and, and we need all of the pieces in order to be the body of christ none of us individually can do that on our own look at uh, verses 13 and 14 he says so we all come together with these giftings until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of christ man that is a high calling it's the calling of chapter of verse one Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He's saying, here's your calling. Look like Jesus. None of us individually can do that. To, the only way we can be the multifaceted beauty of Jesus is if all of the parts are coming together. That's why you by yourself cannot be Jesus to, to somebody. That's why even your family or your home group or your house church or the group that you've decided to start because you're mad at the church or whatever it is, it cannot be the church. It cannot be the body because all of the pieces can't be present. It takes the body of Christ to display the body of Christ. But we are so busy, guys, huddling up over not gospel issues. I, we have to stand for truth. I understand that. We, we, we have to know what the gospel is, and we, we want to partner with churches that are going to preach the gospel. There are even secondary issues that, that maybe we would partner with people, but we wouldn't necessarily worship with them. Views on baptism, do you, views on communion, etc. Th those are things that we could talk about too. But that's not what's dividing up the church anymore. That's not what's causing people to walk away from the church. What's doing that are these things that we call tertiary and, and fourth tier issues. 
So to demonstrate what I mean by that, so let, let me ask you the talking points question, and then I'm going to do a little demonstration. I'm going to need several volunteers, so everybody get ready, because if I call on you, you're just being voluntold. So um, look at talking points number three. How do we tend to respond to people who rub us the wrong way? What is our natural response? Okay, Scott's going like this. Shove them away. What else? Irritation. What's that? Conflict. Gossip. We talk about them to other people because we're praying for them. Oh, that's a great word. We're, we are great at that in the church, which is why Paul talks about gossip more than anything else in the church as far as things that destroy the church because we're so good at doing that, sadly, to our shame. But it's just the way it is, right? So um, what should our response be? Now, our, what should our response be when somebody in the body of Christ or somebody's in the body of Christ are rubbing us the wrong way? What should we be thinking? How can we pray for them? Okay, what else? That, that's a good start. And how can I pray for me? Help me to be more understanding of this person because this person, um, Kim, Kim and John shared a little bit at this group up for marriages yesterday, and Kim used a Paul Tripp quote where Paul Tripp says that my spouse, was talking, she was talking, it was a thing on marriages, so she was talking about marriage. Tripp says, our, um, our spouse is not the cause of our frustration. They are the occasion that God is using to conform us into the image of Jesus. Think about that. Your spouse is not the cause of your anger. They are the occasion Christ is using to conform you into his image. And that's true here, too. So after church, when you're hanging out and somebody's like, yeah, I don't really think this way about this issue the way you do, or whatever it is, like you're like, okay, instead of train your brain to go, instead of going this and going, you're wrong, and I'm out of here, go, this is, the, this is the occasion God is using to make me look more like Jesus. I want to show you what this looks like. So here's where my volunteers are going to be needed. So uh, I'm going to need like three of you from this table over here to just jump up here and come stand over here. And then I'm going to need, um, let's see, let's have Scott and Josh um, and Tom. You're three tall, kind of scary looking dudes. So you come stand over here. Okay, that's okay. Um, yeah, so Sarah, come up here. We'll take four. That's fine. Okay, so, so this is, so you, st you stand over here, you stand over here, so, so, this, is, so, so this, is what, this is what we tend, this is what it looks like to huddle up. So you guys, I know it's going to feel awkward for a minute, but you guys circle up and hold hands. Circle up and hold hands. <laughs> oh, grow up, it's all right. All right, right here's, here's how we huddle up. We huddle up, and, and, we, and, we, and we grab a hold, and we're like, okay, this is my little group, and I feel comfortable here, and, and this fits me. Because this, this is what happened in the church. A lot of the de-churching is what's happened is we, people started going, I, this church doesn't fit me. I'm going to create a church that does fit me, right? And I mean, that's where the Hillsongs came from. It was, a gr it was a group of people that were raised up in youth ministry that aged out. And didn't want to go back to their parents' church. So they just made their own. The problem is, everybody in their group is just like them. But you bunch of old farty, like, you know, theology. Like, I'm just going to sit and smoke my stogies and drink my brandy and talk about God. Like, this is this group over here, right? So, yeah, Adam, you should probably come join them. Um, okay, so so we, we huddle up. But guys, look, so, so I already used, like, one. So here's one example. We have, like, young people and old people. But let's, let's take it this way. Let's take it, forget, forget what they look like. Let's take it to, this is, a his, this is a Hispanic bunch of people. This is a whole bunch of Anglos, white people, right? Let's take it this way. This is a bunch of Republicans. This is a bunch of Democrats. 
Right? Look, look, seriously, th- think about this. Guys, you just, you, you, it, it, it doesn't end. This, this is a group of people that, that disagree on what prayer ought to look like. They have one thought on what prayer ought to be like. And this is a group that has another idea about what prayer ought to look like. Or this is a group that has a, a feeling about whether the tongue, whether the gift of tongues or prophecy or the, or the supernatural gifts have ceased or not. And, this is, and we divide up. Now, now, what we've tried to do at Crosstrain since before we were even called Crosstrain is, is live in this messy middle. So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to come over here if you can and kind of as best you can in our little space. Circle up. Hold hands. If you have to come up on the stage, some of you are going to have to probably. So hold hands. Now, but now here's what we do. So, so we're trying to sort of go, you know what? No, we're, we're not going to let second, third and fourth tier issues divide us. We want to be a church that presses for the mess. Because the mess, the glorious part is Jesus. The mess is us. And the more we can fight through the mess, the better we get to glory. But here's how we do it. Even though we're connected, these three are still over here. Like They're like, you know what? I'm just going to tolerate you. Like, you bunch of young people, you don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know what, I, like, I, like and, and, and as soon as church is over, bam, you go back to your little group, bam, you go back to your little group, and away we go. Like, the, what it's supposed to look like is, so now mix it up. Like, go every other one, or however you want to do it, hold hands again. What it's supposed to look like is more something like, yeah, is, is more something like this. Where now we've had these people that have different thoughts, different ways of thinking about things that are not gospel issues, and they're actually trying to do life together by, by being with one another. Now I'm going to get a couple, um, let me, uh, Evan, come up here, quick. Uh, Parker, come up here, real quick, and just insert yourself in here somewhere. Like, yeah, just, um, Kim, come up here. And insert yourself in here. Because not only should it be like those, those groups mixing together, but we should have some oddballs. Like just mixed in as well. So. You're the oddball, Kim. Yes. Yes. She, she says, I resemble that remark. But guys, this is why we've do, we do church the way we do it. This is why we have the Evans and the Parkers in, the, in, in church with us. It's not because we can't afford a place that has classrooms or we don't want to staff a children's ministry. It's because the beauty of the body of Christ is the, is the unity, is the togetherness in the midst of the diversity. Right? It's, it's not, guys, I, I'm going to keep fighting for this until there's nobody left at the church, if that's what it takes. And not just me, all the elders are going to, I need to stop saying I, we are going to keep fighting for this until there, even if there's nobody left, because this is what the church is supposed to be, with one little caveat, and I'm going to get there in just a minute. Guys, the messy middle is where we want to live because, that, because it's hard. So it's not just a matter of, well, I'm going to accept that people are different. It's when we embrace them when we actually come up and embrace the difference and go, I, because you go, I know I need you. I know I need you, even though you frustrate the snot out of me. Like, that's because I know that frustration is going to make me look more like Jesus. Last thing, so everybody, drop hands, turn around right where you're at, and grab hands. This is really what the church is supposed to look like. The beautiful diversity that is the majesty of the beauty of the, of, the, of the body of Christ looking out at a world that needs to see what this looks like. Because when somebody walks into a room and they go, 
Well, of course they're all together in a group because they're all the same. They're all the same color. They're all the same voting habits. They're all the same, exact same theology. They're all the, then, then they go, that's why they're together. But when you look at a group like this and you're like, there is absolutely no reason for the two of you to be together other than that you're unified by one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. You guys can go sit down. Thank you very much. Do you understand? So, so, so the question becomes, how do we do that? Like, how do, we, how do we continue as a church to press into being that glorious mess? Well, one of the things is, um, we have these, we're starting up, and in, in your handout, there, or in your bulletin, there was a handout for fall D groups, dinner groups slash discipleship groups. Guys, want, here's how you do life together. You know how you do life together? You do life together. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? You actually hang out with other people that maybe you don't know, that maybe you're a little afraid, like, like it's not people that you chose because they think, because they make you feel good about what you think because they think exactly like you think, right? So I want to encourage you to sign up for a dinner group. It's all, it's all explained in here. Uh, we'll be giving you more information. You have the next couple of weeks to sign up. We'll put you in groups. Um, it explains how they work. If, I'd also encourage you, if you've never done this, to fill out one of our Connect cards. They're on the tables up here. They're on the information table in the back. Let us know, like, where are you at spiritually, and how are you connected to the body of Christ here at Crosstrain, right? Like, like, guys, you can't, we can all sort of nod our heads and go, yeah, that, that makes great sense. And then, and then service gets done, and I'm in five minutes, and I'm out of here because I'm an introvert, and I'm going to go home. That is not doing life together, right? I, I, I am an introvert. I know people don't believe that. I am an introvert. What I want to do when the service is over is go home. Not because I don't like you guys, but it's just, it's just who I am, right? It's, and, and we, I, have to, I have to, yeah, but there's, there's no opportunity for me to grow in the image of Christ by going home and sitting on the couch. Like, that just ain't happening. I don't care how many times you watch The Chosen, that ain't happening, okay? So let's, let's finish up. We're going to land this plane. Christ, get that unity is not the same as sameness it's oneness right it doesn't mean that you have to believe everything that everybody in the room believes it doesn't mean you have to look like everybody like it, it is it is saying in spite of the difference we are one because there's one god one faith one baptism one father who rules over all that's the difference so why do we need the church? One, we, it helps us live, live as one. Two, it helps us live life together. And the last thing is, and it goes quickly, we live on purpose. Look at the last two verses of our passage. It's verses 15 and 16 of, of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, so here's what you're supposed to do. Rather, so you're supposed to unite together, equip the body, build up, expand the kingdom. Let's go. Here we go. And he says, by doing that, you, or to do that, speak the truth in love. We grow up in every aspect of him who is the head Christ, and from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint through which it is equipped, when, now get this, this is why not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. The only way that that building up happens is when each part is working properly. When each body part, that's you, you're a body part, figure out which body part you are with the handouts that we have. But when those are working together, we build up and make the body grow. We make the kingdom come. We expand 
Not just, it's not numerically growing our church, it's expanding the kingdom. I love how um, the way, the way in, um, Parker read out of the New Living Translation, it says this, verse 16 of the New Living says it this way. He, the Spirit, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy, growing, and, see, and sealed in love. Guys, I'll say it one more time. You are saved, sealed, and placed in a place by the Holy Spirit on purpose for his purpose. Not just to come and get. Not, it is, so, what, so the question becomes, what is your purpose here? Guys, you need the church because it gives you that place to exercise your giftedness and to be, and to be scraped and conform to the image of Christ by one another. But the church needs you too. Not, again, not to get stuff done. It isn't that. It really is so that, so that I, guys, I need you. The more annoying you are to me, the more I need you. Because those are the areas I need to lean into and let Christ do his work in making me look like Jesus. That's the hard truth of the church. Guys, make no mistake. When you personally, individually come to faith in Christ, you are saved. You are bought by the blood of the Lamb. But he didn't do it just to leave you there. Right? You, the, the church is what Christ is coming back for. The church, we, we've made our Christianity so individualistic. We say things like, if I was the only person in the world, Jesus would die for me, would have died for me. That might be true. That's not why he died. He died for the kingdom. And the kingdom is the church. We are what Christ is doing on the planet today, as scary as that can seem. So I'll wrap it up with this. Why, and the music team can come up, why do I need the church? That's the question we're asking today. Why do I need the church? Because, guys, the, your involvement, not your attendance, Jeff said it, sitting in church does not make you a Christian, just like sitting in your garage does not make you a car. Not your attendance, your involvement in the body of Christ is perhaps your greatest affirmation, your greatest personal affirmation that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you. Why do you need the church? Because it proves you're his. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the truth that when, that when you save us, you you do gift us. You seal us in your spirit and you place us. And you place us in a body that we might function as you would have see fit. And, and, and everybody I personally know and have known through my years of being yours who, who does that does not doubt their salvation. Does not wander away from the church. Because they, because they know they're here for a purpose. It's not about them. The purpose is to bring you glory. So Lord, I do pray for those that are not yet saved and sealed, that you would do your work, that, they, that the gospel truth, that, that, that they too can be bought by the blood of Christ by just praying that, that, one, acknowledging their need, and two, believing that you apply it to their life. And then for those of us that are yours, Lord, I pray that, that we would have the peace that comes from from being together, knowing that we are here on purpose, for a purpose, that you're using us in this place for your glory. 
so that when we walk out of here, we can go, not only did I get something from God, but I was able to demonstrate my connection to God by relating and connecting to other people. Lord, I, I do thank you for the glorious, glorious mess that is Cross Train Church. I thank you for these people that are used by you um, daily to conform me into the image of your son. I confess there's much work to be done in my heart. But I thank you that you've put me in a place that allows for that work to happen. I pray that you would help us look more beautiful, smell more like Jesus, and take him to a world that needs to know that he is our only hope in Jesus' name. Amen.